Welcome back to Third Wave Urbanism, the podcast where we confront the challenges facing our ever-changing cities. I'm Katrina, your co-host, and as ever, I'm here with Kristen Jeffers. Hi, Kristen. Hi. How's it going? Good. Good. <laughs> Good to be back on the mic. Yes, uh, it is. Last yes. time we were here, we were in Chicago. We were on a stage as opposed to in a booth. Now we're back to our sad little booths, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's, there's been some turkey in my belly because we're recording this after yes. um, United States Thanksgiving, uh, just after United States Thanksgiving, and we're going into the United States holiday season. Um, I'm inclusive of everything here. So, yeah. <laughs> it, but the light, the lights are fun. Yes. The cookies are fun. Uh, some of the songs are okay. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't gone shopping yet, so I have not been inundated with holiday music, but I'm okay with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it's cool to see like different different uh, places like light up and see kind of how like things are decorated. Again, this is my first holiday in Baltimore, so seeing the Inner Harbor lit up, um, yeah. where they put the ice rink, and I hope to get down to the ice rink pretty soon. So yeah, that's awesome. That's what's gotten me excited, but. Again, you. This is not going to be an episode of the two of us this time. We do have a guest this week. Uh, well, yeah, it's funny we were talking about lights. So, <laughs> uh, we have with us today Lenny Schwendiger, who is a consultant and director of night seeing, um, formerly at Arup, and also a researcher and designer, and also uh, I don't even know what else right now. So, we're really excited to have her on the show. Um, so, Lenny, thank you for being here with us. It's really great, and and we couldn't have planned it better by uh, starting out with uh, the everyday, sort of every holiday light up um, rituals, yeah. which I think are really you know are part of really every culture, whether they're lanterns or sparkly lights or holidays or celebrations. I think that kind of urban celebration is is a part of the joy that that we can spread with light in cities i love it and so uh why don't you introduce uh what exactly you do um, more about the projects you're working on right now and sort of um how you got to uh where you are sure well, working backwards, um in the midst of of, of a research institute startup and so the name of that of that institute or, or set of members is Nighttime Design Institute. And Nighttime Design is an interdisciplinary approach to planning and creating better night times, which would be inclusive and safe and uh, inspiring would allow for more uh, public health uh, benefits, walking, social benefits, talking with friends and strangers, economic vitality, you know, cultural um, venues and shops open later, um, a, more, a better relationship between the clubs and bars and sort mm -hmm. of the other people walking on sidewalks. And then finally, if, it, if we say if those two pillars are are encouraged and met, then safety um, and security will will change and feel better. The perceptions of safety because of more eyes on the street, mm -hmm. the Jane Jacobs, you know, trope. And um, so those are the three pillars of nighttime design, which are better public health enhanced vital economic vitality and safety so 
that's nighttime design. We can talk more about that. Excellent. Um, part of nighttime design at this point is is the night seeing program, which I've been doing for mm, nine years or ten years. Um, wow. Super fun. I walk yeah. with people all over the world in cities and point out the every day, every night light so that people can get comfortable with expressing their feelings of light and environment at night. And we've added an envisioning component so we can work with communities to envision better night times. And then backwards from that, um, as a practitioner, I've you know been designing for public space and infrastructure, urban, uh, open spaces for, for many years. That would be parks and waterfronts and bridges, um, streets, and, you know, plazas um, in an international setting uh, and doing public art with light. So that, yeah. that, that's, that's sort of the past number of years covered. Uh, if I can add, jump into the light question here, but what uh, what made you really focus on that in your um, planning practice then? Well, that's interesting. My um, my education was in film, so okay. even starting in high school, I was making movies for term projects, and and I do mean film <laughs> nice. a while nice. ago, <laughs> and splices and adhesive and you know soundtracks. Um, then I went to the London Film School, and um, the idea was to create documentaries. And actually, I wanted to uncover gender um, inequalities. And, you know, this is like in the 70s. Wow. Um, but then when I came back to the U.S., it wasn't, you know, gosh, there were maybe two female directors and no cinematographers. And I just kind of got cold feet. I didn't have the nerve I have now to sort of you know, make that work and as a living. And I sort of got side sideways, went to light. And I was a rock and roll electrician. I painted glass slides for Ozzy Osbourne. I used to do this opera technique of painting on glass that was projected real, you know, huge scales. Um, and then I moved into architectural lighting through fashion shows. It's been pretty eclectic, I have to say. That's amazing. Um, <laughs> this is really it's awesome. just the best thing. It's, you know, I'm, I'm way too lucky. It's just, it's just wonderful. Um, so I had my own firm for 20 years and we did super innovative projects, underpasses, bridges, um, parks, as I mentioned earlier, public art, um, interactive uh, installations like early, early on. I'm talking early 2000s. Um, so, you know, I've been, you know, on, I hope, the cutting edge or trying new things, innovation, as I like to say, where people already are uh, rather than in, in a gallery or in a theater or or enclosed in, in special places, but out where people are. And that's that's really the basis of my urbanism. That's really uh, cool. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, I think we're in consensus here. That's just so cool <laughs> that it's really because often and that's what we like to talk about on the show. We like to talk about how a lot of what we do and a lot of why we do what we do is rooted in the everyday. 
But also mm-hmm. for you, it's been rooted in, you know, at the beginning you were doing um, film storytelling. Mm-hmm. And then essentially you translated a lot of that film storytelling into just thinking about things, how things are lit. And then brought, bringing that back out into the regular world, not necessarily the world that's going to be filmed, but a world that's going to be consumed. So essentially bringing theater or creating a theater setting in a lot of places that aren't necessarily stages. Well, that's kind of perfect because so I did a large scale projection on to the main post office in Manhattan, which was 100 feet by 50 feet and all manually based with um, painted glass slides and mylar loops. And the reason I'm mentioning it is because the point was people sit on the steps, people go by their in their cars, people walk their dogs. And I felt it was kind of a citizen artist project hmm. that was really a part of the environment um, that you know, people could remember for a long time and be really um, influenced by what they saw and the sort of the vision of the light as an as a kind of mundane in a sense is it's that's the post office and yet awesome and sort of spectacular in that it was gigantic and different and new. Yeah, whereas I'm assuming that there was a color element to it because I'm thinking about this. I'm thinking I've obviously been by the main Manhattan post office, but you know, you think about the sort of the gothic columns and I'm thinking about when I go to visit the Lincoln Memorial at night uh, and even with just that that tone of lighting, that is an impressive experience just being somewhere and all of a sudden there's like a golden haze that comes out of the darkness around it especially at night when everything's lit and again going to the um, national monuments at night is probably my favorite time going because of the illuminations Mm. so it's it sounds like again and this has been what 25 years ago this particular project but essentially i think this is is good to talk about that because oftentimes we think that and I, i feel like especially now that the internet has come into play with practicing urbanism and people having conversations and how new voices come in, but really talking about how these principles have, people have been thinking about how to create space, how to create place, how to develop place for quite a long time. And even though we're just now getting a mass audience around it, it's not like these things haven't happened. So essentially Take us from that point where you're illuminating all these different uh, venues to getting to essentially uh, where we are now um, with the the night seeing platform, mm, right? And, mm-hmm. and then, of course, moving into the research platform you're moving into. Yeah, no, that's a really good connection. Um, I have to say that the parallel to that projection, I was also the founder of Hell's Kitchen Neighborhood Association. So um, at that point, we were organizing around um, affordable housing, um, taking control of residual spaces, community gardens, and meeting with the uh, planners, Manhattan Department of Planning, in regards to what has now become the Hudson Yards. 
um, mm. and working oh, with yeah. uh, Port Authority in, in, in procure, you know, getting these gardens and stuff. Um, so what's interesting is that I've had an opportunity as I went along, then I, in 99, did a, a, my real first civic, integrated civic project um, where I worked with community uh, stakeholders like kids at school and kayakers and community artists, uh, which we don't have here, community arts. They, they, they um, organize parades and things like that oh. at, um, at a canal, the Fourth and Clyde Canal at Mary Hill Locks in Glasgow. And so it, I felt like that was my first successful blending of community organizing within the context of an, of an illumination art project. So anyway, that was my 1999 um, Water Above Water in Mary Hill Locks in Glasgow was my first hybrid community organized slash illumination project for their um, year of architecture and design in Glasgow. So I think, you know, what I, where I want to go with, with the conversation is just to talk a little bit about the idea of community informed design. Mm -hmm. And so what we are doing and, and um, if, if the listeners get a chance to I don't know if you'll be able to give them the link to our City Lights um, video. Oh, definitely. What we're trying to do with nighttime design is create community-informed design at night and with interdisciplinary professional teams so that lighting kind of leads the way, but it also incorporates, you know, the retail consultants, the social uh, researchers, civil engineers, if we need to change the streets, mm -hmm. um, industrial designers, if we need more places to sit at night. Um, so it's really grappling with nighttime issues um, interdisciplinarily, as well, being informed by stakeholders and communities. So it's it's complex, but the idea is to build better communities with light. That's amazing. Uh, you know, this actually reminds me a bit about, um, uh, we, I think we did an episode, I don't remember which one, but we talked about the nightmare programs mm -hmm. that are taking place right now. And I think New York City just got its first nightmare, or I guess we don't call them mayors here, but um, in other cities in Europe, they have multiple mayors of different areas. So maybe it's just sort of the nighttime director or something like that. I'm curious if you've had any uh, like interaction with those folks or I mean, what what it seems to me is like your what you're saying is like a step further beyond just putting somebody in charge of um, making sure that there's a balance, but you're really thinking holistically about the relationship between daytime and nighttime. As great, yeah, yeah. like as fifty percent of the time, well, not fifty percent, but like as uh, some some of the time, depending on where we are in the world, um, you know, that we experience uh, life. You know, not everything shuts down, obviously, during the nighttime, and um, and nor should it in certain ways. So, so I like this this holistic look at it. Well, you've just brought up like four or five points. So I'll start, <laughs> I'll start with my, what I like to say and, and watch people's faces. Um, nighttime is an existing condition. Huh? You know, that's, that's an 
urbanistic and engineering term, in existing conditions, you cannot do anything about. So when we go out and we analyze a site, we look for the existing conditions. Those could be, you know, a ceramic sewer that is three feet wide and was built, you know, 100 years ago. We can't move it. That's an existing condition. And nighttime is an existing condition. That's great. So actually, in fact, I called my astrophysicist friend at Glasgow University and I said, look, please tell me that nighttime's like 52% of our temporal space and time he said nope sorry it's exactly 50 percent wow you cannot say that <laughs> <laughs> so overall in the world it's 50 percent wow um so that's that's equal equal that's substantial um and we we think and i i think everyone would agree it's there are different perceptions and different conditions at night from fear to romance to you know the full moon and that awe and to you know accidents and crime to you know a busy night on the town i mean mm -hmm. lots of perceptions and, and 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 assumptions about nighttime that you do not have about the day mm. so as far as the nightmares it's super interesting and it's part of definitely within our research purview for Nighttime Design Institute, which is there are surprisingly night czars, there are night mayors, and there are nighttime ambassadors. Mm. And what they are is like an ombudsman, which means in a sense a negotiator between the bars and what we call nightlife um, and sort of alcoholic, you know, behavior <laughs> and um you know civilians or people who are just you know people trying to walk by or go to their shopping and that sort of thing so you're completely right and i'm so glad you picked up on it that we hope to broaden the conversation from you know entertainment bars and alcohol to the larger purview of what is night for us, what are the shades of night? What happens throughout our street, our district, our area that we're studying throughout the night? Um, starting with going out for a drink with your friends or out for coffee to going to a restaurant, going to a theater or a cultural venue to just walking anonymously and wandering and thinking to that third shift or night shift worker going off to the subway or their car mm -hmm. to the people coming home coming out of the clubs the the late night clubs right <laughs> after hours and then the people coming in from the bedroom communities to go to work and it's still dark mm -hmm. so there's a whole set of shades throughout the night that we're we're using that metaphor in a sense to do research um quantitative and qualitative research at the moment and that analysis would help us understand going forward with a lighting strategy or a nighttime strategy. Yeah. Yeah, that's all really, really amazing. I will tell you that I, especially now in this time of year, I'm definitely affected by uh, lack of light mm. and also what's available at night. I don't feel like darkness is automatically evil or bad. But I do have some form, I, I'm not diagnosed as having like seasonal affective disorder, but I definitely can tell when I've not gotten enough sunlight. 
Mm -hmm. And, you know, especially, you know, again, I'm still learning my city. Um, And again, a lot of people are paying attention to just incidents, incidents of crime or whatever. And that's not necessarily what keeps me from going outside. It's just that I go outside and, you know, I don't necessarily meet people in the street sometimes or, you know, there are blocks that aren't as activated. Um, And then, you know, yeah, if I walk them in the middle of the day, they still wouldn't be as activated, but it feels even more ominous. And then again, just less sunlight, at least until we hit the solstice in about a month or so. So yeah, for me, it's all this activity, all these, all these groups having things at night, having things outdoors at night, having things that are considered family friendly. It helps me subconsciously say, okay, I know in theory, I'm not afraid of the dark, but it's not necessarily something I like. And again, as you said, as it is an existing condition, it is something that happens every day. You know, for me, it's learning how to balance it. So essentially, your work, like lighting the darkness, helps me like get excited about. Oh, well, the day isn't just like however long the sun is up. The day is the full twenty four hours. And again, <laughs> I'm not. I didn't grow up like in New York or anything like that. I grew up in the in the U S. Southeast in North Carolina. You know, definitely things shut down. Sometimes things shut down in the middle of the day. So <laughs> it's <laughs> adjusting to the fact that a city can be 24 hours, like like living the fact that a city can be 24 hours is still an adjustment to me, but it's a welcome adjustment for me. Well, there is, you know, a worldwide sort of recognition that that's slowly on the ascendant uh, about mm-hmm. the 24-hour globe. I mean, Mm -hmm. so think about, you know, from the very basic of phone calls, it's not public space, but, you know, phone calls in the middle of the night, if you're talking to someone in China or doing business with them or Australia, um, to, you know, people who are coding and dealing with, you know, around the clock uh, efficiency and and operability, making sure things work, to, uh, you know, the night jobs that the people who serve you know, cities, the transit drivers, the nurses, the cleaners, the people who are on the night shift moving through urban and public space. So there is a very functional aspect of of the global 24-hour city, but there's also this uh, notion of discretionary hours, which occurred after the Industrial Revolution that people were working inside, you know, shops and factories and then leaving all at the same time (laughs) after dark. And what were they going to do? There was a whole worry (laughs) about morality. You know, where are the women going to go? Guys are going out carousing and, and, and religious sort of church groups started doing educationals for the women and morality, you know, uh, lectures. Um, so I've, I've liked to take this idea of discretionary hours, i.e. the hours where you don't have a boss and you can do what you wish, you know, to, to a certain degree um, and say, hey, I can walk in the city. You know, I can be out with my friend. I can go to a movie. I can, you know, do what I like. Um, so I think that's an inspiring time and that we should provide, you know, inclusive public spaces for people to do that in. I love that framing because it's it's so much about like the the freedom 
um, to own your city during the nighttime as well. It's very much about inclusivity. And I, I think we've talked about it from a woman's perspective in the past as well with regards to if you feel like you're at risk, then maybe you're less likely to stop and wait for a bus or something. And it's so it's like, I mean, lighting can impact everything from the usage of our public transportation. It's like, okay, well, you get a ride share instead or you drive yourself instead because you're concerned about that. And so you feel safer in, in like a box at night, wherever you are, Yeah. Um, yeah. as well as a whole bunch of other things, of course, um, an actual threat of violence, which I guess in many, um, in some cities, in other countries, they have recognize like the the research around when lighting is installed violence decreases against women um and my neighborhood uh has these wonderful historic lamps and here in Philadelphia um that are sort of like the Ben Franklin light, lights or something <laughs> uh and they're lovely um but they're so low like on their their lighting level is so low and so it's a very lovely historic night but or, or neighborhood, but mm-hmm. if it's nighttime mm-hmm. and it's like, you know, Halloween, <laughs> you know, it's like the fog and you're like, oh, goodness, like I'm going around a corner. What's going on there? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really kind of interesting, that contrast. And, and of course, also there's the conversation about lighting being too bright and light pollution. So I guess mm-hmm. I'm interested in the research aspect of this as well, you know, and how you're balancing all of those different nuances and um, mm-hmm. sort of what the products uh, will be from from the kinds of research that you're conducting, if you can say anything about that. Yeah, no, that's a fantastic question. Um, well, it all, it, it sort of springs from this night seeing and, and, and our listeners can look up nightseeing.net and see that these walks and envisioning sessions with people in all different cultures um, that I've worked with, the, the beginning is really to one, as, as a professional, to team up with another, with a local, another local professional. It could be a historian, mm. it could be a planner, it could be someone from government, it could be an academic. And so we've done our homework and, and we know about the town and we do a rehearsal the night before, by the way, <laughs> we, of our walk. And yeah. the walk is like, 10 minutes standard walk but we take depending on the context a half an hour or an hour mm-hmm. and we go very slowly and point out all the effects um i call the the signals the jewels of the night and the atm flashing blinkers are jewels <laughs> of the night yeah. and we have these found lighting uh, effects that that make things interesting and animated and then we have you know design that's on purpose and then we have private lighting which are the sconces and various lights that commercial well the storefronts themselves Mm -hmm. add to the public you know verve and visuals and then we have the the city lighting which would be more like your lanterns and your cobra heads provided by the city as a baseline. Um, So we go through and through this really fun process, um, learn about expressing light. I always say it's so hard to draw. It's so bloody hard to draw. (laughs) Let's just try and talk about it and get some adjectives going. And um, so by that time, people have been sort of gotten this entrained, like, vocabulary then we go back and we do a workshop together 
Good. And we use these magic character cards to gain consensus by these stakeholders that have been selected by, you know, our clients um, to come up with objectives for a lighting strategy. Um, after we, we do that, and that's always been very successful with these image cards, people tend to, to get on board and agree, even when they're arguing, they keep looking at these images and they finally can bring about a synopsis, what they think, what they need. Like in Bogota, the, it's nighttime design, not just lighting. So in Bogota, mm -hmm. we had a historic preservation architect as, as my team and the number one obje objective was save as much of the historic fabric as we can. So that was really lovely that people said nothing about lighting, but what was the priority yeah. of, a, of a master plan, a nighttime master plan. And then two, they said places to meet after dark. Hmm. I just love that. <laughs> and then the third was a soft ambiance. So that came together with like, three tables of workshop attendees. Um, we could align the three different tables to those three different objectives. So the next step would be, should things proceed, you would, and we did this in, for example, just outside Sydney, we proceeded to a lighting strategy, hmm. which sort of, uh, demarks you know are we lighting monuments or public art are we changing the lanterns they, they have defining globes are we going to change those they're not very nice um doing display window lessons and incentives for better private light and then pilots so pilot-based design is another one of our big principles which is try stuff out yeah Check it out. Get your social researchers to do the research before, during, and after. Find out what people really think. Find out if it worked or not, uh, socially and technologically. So that's, that's, you know, it's kind of, I guess, an amalgam of, of research and, and design and planning. That music to my ears. <laughs> yeah, we. I, me too. Again, I feel like we need... We need to be doing more, not less, connecting people on a very real level. And, you know, again, as I said before, I definitely relate to Katrina's concern. You know, there's it's nice because I also live in a historic area of Baltimore. It's nice to kind of have lower lighting. Um, we don't have I feel like we don't have the um, the lamp type things like we could have. We do have uh street posts that look a little bit more historic and like true to like the nature of the area. But there's literally a light outside of my bedroom window right now. It shines in. I have to wear a mask. If I forget <laughs> to wear that mask, I have a bad night. And that's even if I like do everything to cover my face. So it's, it's, it's almost like sometimes depending on the placement you know, it's almost like the lights telling us, you know, maybe not here, you know, let me come out and let me let me be part of the world at night in places that make me illuminating versus, oh, well, I'm here. Um, this light feels like a safety light versus a, you know, enhancement mm -hmm. light. Mm -hmm. Like, what are your thoughts on that? Like, you know, placement of lights, like the safety placement versus like the illumination placement. 
Yeah, well, there's a big controversy going on even right now. I was on LinkedIn this morning writing quite a long comment. Um, <laughs> there's, a, there's a big article on light pollution right now that's going around. And it's just uh, like, you know, okay, really good research or pretty good research. I'm not going to get into it. but the, <laughs> And the conclusions, however, that the press is making is are, are not satisfactory and it's just oh. so alarmist so here's the deal um with good optics and good design and that kind of community informed um concerns and a study of a place and what it really is a site specificity we should be able to do a good job in public lighting mm. um i'm just for your for your listeners gonna quickly say that light pollution the better word to use is light obtrusion mm. so it okay. obtrudes yeah. It, it, yeah. it gets in the way yeah. and yeah. then under that to be more specific because what the heck is light pollution which thing are we thinking of one sky glow which is when the clouds are reflecting the light and you can't see the stars mm-hmm. two light trespass which is the light going in your window that's maddening. Yeah. <laughs> trespass. And it feels like a trespass. <laughs> it, it really does. Exactly. <laughs> so the actual light is going into places it wasn't necessarily meant to go. So that means better optics. And then third, there is glare. So mm. a lot of the new LED street lights, this is another big controversy, are quite glary. That means it hurts your eyes when you look at them. Um, in, in distinction to sparkly, which means when you look at lights, they don't hurt your eyes, but you find it pleasurable. Mm-hmm. And then um, what I learned in Prague this year is visual smog. Oh. And what visual Ooh. smog is, which I'd never heard before, is cl- what we call clutter. So ah. lots of little lights all over the, the place and that, you know, or just, you know, clutter too many signs too many lights etc so really let's get more specific because then we can solve these various bad lighting scenarios so how much of this not even just the lighting conversation um at its base here but also the the whole comprehensive nighttime design how much is this really on the radar for you know i guess mayors or departments or different departments in cities and so forth um i mean considering that there is some buzz around some of these subjects but i mean how how much of an initiative is there for these people for these people in charge of things to really look into Mm -hmm. this and make changes well, I have to say there, there are two parts to this. One, it's incredibly exciting to live in this moment. I, I've been thinking about transformable light at night, which we're not even getting into yet, which is smart lighting or connected lighting, you know, for at least a decade and what that could be. Um, the idea of the night being a special time and place, all those things, you know, it's finally on the page. It's in the media. We do have the Manite Mayors. We do have programs in, in Sydney, a fantastic open Sydney. You can look that up. They have a really amazing set of policies. Um, and London with their new Night Tube and some other, let's see, there's something called Night Work, which is from the Home Office, and that's a policy situation, you know, where they're, they're really seriously grappling with policies. And then here at home in New York, um, 
I'm working with a student out of the new school who's doing a policy paper during her master's process. Um, what policies and what guidelines and what codes would enable better night times and which are barriers to better mm. night times? So I think, I think to answer your question, no, not yet. We don't have a critical mass of cities and public awareness. Um, but yes, Nighttime Design Institute, uh, where we have members in Bogota, in Berlin, in London, in Stuttgart, um, Singapore, that you know are grappling with these questions. Um, we're we're st we're looking for funding. We're like four months old. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it's a startup, and uh, but we really intend to do the breakthrough research that. One, it's evidence that, that we need better approaches tonight. And two, that we can apply through pilots and design these approaches that communities will be invested in and can love and can feel a part of. Yeah, that's great. Sounds good. Um, thinking about that and thinking about just how we just broke down all the types of light intrusion and light obstruction and the smog and all of that. What else, um, and this doesn't have to be light related, what else that kind of comes up at night really is uh, something to really want to address? Like, you know, is it fixed? Like, what what do you want to fix next? Like, you fixed lighting issues. What about night would you want to either fix or help people understand better or you feel like it's also gotten a, a bad name for no good reason? That's a great question. So I've learned from geographers this term lighting conflicts. And, you know, anything, any area of study and application can have a conflict. So one of the conflicts would be what about nature and nocturnal animals um, in conflict with the sociability of, of people and the public, right? So really you know you might have the most informed public that doesn't mind a darker space and they feel safe and they like don't want to waste energy and just absolutely laudable um but you have other communities where well you know what you really need more light because people feel afraid for good reason mm. so first of all you, you've got a conflict there in terms of energy saving and and good lighting um or possible creative and good lighting and then you have a conflict between what we're calling conservation zones dark zones for wildlife um, we did a park in shanghai that had a conservation a darkness conservation area because they really did have a lot of nocturnal animals and wildlife so you know you you used the word balance earlier i mean i think I think that balance is really important. I also think creativity and inspiration is important. So these are conflicts and balances that we have to work through. Yeah. Legibility is very important. So let's think about tourists um, oh, yeah. or visitors. Um, on one hand, it's really great to extend visiting hours and to, to enjoy the night. There's so many great quotes about the night and night walking and walking through the wild lights of the city and that sort of thing. People love the night. Um, so if we can create illuminated paths 
illuminated destinations, a more legible um, space. And yes, I reverted to lighting again, but let's say, <laughs> let's say places that are recognizable as, let's say, a night zone. Mm-hmm. We're starting mm-hmm. to think about mm-hmm. that idea. Like you have zoning and planning and, and we're thinking of like night zones that won't just be bars, but could be different kinds of cultural Let's talk about the cultural planning and cultural planners Mm -hmm, who mm -hmm. we could work with most concerts and and theater and, 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 you know, poetry readings are after dark. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) (laughs) how can we, you know, how can we promote and really create these zones that are exciting that people go poetry? What? Oh, there's always that free poetry reading right by that bus stop cool let's do it (laughs) um that's a nighttime art form do you know what i'm saying like redefining culture at night Mm -hmm. embracing it in a certain way yeah i i just feel like it's not the same like when you go say you go to the like the theater at you know the sun has set and so the house lights are coming up the marquees are coming up it there's definitely an invitation the other thing i love is going to the actual cinema like i go at say you know anywhere between 4 30 and 7 30 depending on the time of the year and it's still like the sun is setting or it's like low in the sky it's that afternoon sun i go in i'm immersed in this world from anywhere from like an hour and a half to two and a half maybe even three hours I leave the cinema with my belly full of popcorn and Reese's pieces and (laughs) I'm meeting the dark and I'm hoping like this part of why I don't go to certain movies because again, you're immersed and it it sort of changes your psychological environment. And again, with me having a complicated uh, relationship with the dark in the night, I definitely, there are definitely places and theaters and movies I don't necessarily want to go and see, but Again, I feel like, especially when it comes to performances, I expect like the the light to come out of the darkness, and I love that element. I love the laser shows. I love, you know, the goldenness of the theatrical lights. I love being in a cinema and being immersed in this movie world, and then it's dark, so I can go back home and potentially continue to stay in that movie through dreaming. So it's. Again, it, it's complicated for me because I there are a lot of things culturally that I love about being at night, and I feel like they have their the specialness at night. And you know, you go to opening night at the theater, and you go like people are doing the midnight showings now. So, yeah, I I can definitely relate to the the cultural piece of it, but I guess it's the whole okay, I need to go out and I need to go to the grocery. I hope I don't drop my eggs <laughs> on myself. And, and we've talked about it on the show, how, because a lot of, I feel like I'm like, yes, you need, we do need to discuss lighting. We don't need to say, oh, well, we need lights because women automatically are unsafe without lights. But I'm like, I can't see at night. I'm nearsighted. I definitely need some light. <laughs> and I, again, I don't want to have to go to the store after work in the winter and end up dropping my eggs. So. Yeah, I definitely don't go shopping after dark as much in the or like after work as much in the winter. I definitely do go home earlier. But I was just thinking, too, about the sort of like um, it's sort of like how people are designing streets and public spaces while also thinking about protesting. 
um, which is just more recognizable as an issue now, a, a bit more this year, I would say. But uh, it's just interesting to think about, like, the alternate uses also of, of any potential place. I'm actually about to head to a vigil tonight. Um down the street from my house where, unfortunately, a young woman was tragically killed on her bicycle uh, yesterday. And when you think about communities coming together for something like remembrance, you know, it's going to be dark and you you kind of expect that. It's sort of everybody's standing with candles and reverence and, and, and solidarity and it kind of adds a, a sort of weight to the situation and a thinking about where things like that take place is just it's really it's so interesting to think about every possible circumstance in in the nighttime in in the different places in your city well i think i think no i think that's actually interesting um so in the first case going to the movie in the second case um protesting and and a context um i okay the going to the movie idea the sun going down and then emerging and, and, and leaving this, this intensive story after dark. It sounds very ceremonial to me. I'm, I'm mm. going to use the word mm-hmm. ceremonial. Mm-hmm. That there's, there is, and dramatic. Yeah. So I think, I think that's really interesting because we can create not only events, and, and by the way, that's the other set of, of research and focus on nighttime or events and light festivals. We talked about policy a little bit. We talked about nightmares, which sort of straddle policy and entertainment. And Mm. then there are, you know, the light festivals and event people that are talking about after dark. So, you know, creating an everyday event like that, I'm just coming up with this from your, from your introduction of the movie is, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm you know, creating one's own ceremony or with one's friends. And then the protests, you know, there've been some really interesting um, competitions and attention paid to public space for protest. Mm -hmm. Uh, Theatre Mundi out of London, I think Van Allen Institute from New York have had, Mm -hmm. you know, what is is public space in, in, in relation to protest. But again, with the vigil, for example, or remembrance, that is ceremonial. Yeah. That is dramatic. Mm-hmm. So also mm-hmm. that idea of the lights going down, the blinking of the lobby lights for theater. Mm-hmm. You know, all of these kind of wonderful uh, moments situated in the dark, using light, using a stage, using our own sort of dramatic selves as creating an activity, an environment, a relationship after dark. I think it's, it's really special. I think, I think we need, you know, wonderful after dark event planners. Yeah. You know, I've never said that before. So let's do it. (laughs) That is so exciting. Well, I'm glad that you're in charge of making sure that we're thinking about this more um, and and really like helping people navigate this new but already existent <laughs> uh, area of their city. I love it. Yeah. And I love that we've Thank been you. able to actually talk to you, talk to someone who's an expert in this, because when we talked about it before, it was the two of us who were discussing an article and again, as as we've shared even now, and this is, you know, the hallmark of our show is that we often, especially me, go into personal story and really thinking about how this actually 
uh, happens in my lived experience. But again, being able to revisit this and talk to someone who's had years mm-hmm. and years of experience illuminating spaces, creating spaces, creating stories, both inside, outside, lighting interiors, lighting exteriors, and really setting a stage and reminding us that essentially no different in the daytime, night is also a state of being and also has beauty and quirks and lovely things attached to it. And again, I commend you for, again, taking taking years of experience and sort of shifting and following, I'm assuming following your heart a little bit into helping people understand the beauty of the night. Wow, that's that's such a great <laughs> ending, but I will comment and say that. Um, yes, I have shifted. And, and as far as the personal story, I've, I've been taking risks all my life for what I believe in and what really captures my imagination and hoping to reflect that back into into public and into people's experience lives. Well, we wish you the best of luck. Can you tell our readers also what to keep an eye on uh, mm. with regards to the any upcoming projects or your website in particular where people can follow along with your work? So, you know, what's super interesting is I recently worked with the Seattle Center to upgrade Dreaming in Color uh, light installation uh, from over 10 years ago into LED. So that's incredibly exciting. Like now the technology actually matches the intent of the three-dimensional color field. And it's like 150 feet by 50 feet. Uh, so you walk into the colors. So that's, that's available to see all newly. Um, in terms of nighttime design, we don't have a website yet. We okay. will be <laughs> announcing one. Hopefully we'll be announcing big support and partners. We've got academic institutions very interested. We've got wonderful, smart experts in mobility, social research, urban design, uh, a UN negotiator, you know, all sort of working hard to make this research a reality. So I hope that if you go to nightseeing.net, you'll learn about the walks in the dark. Mm-hmm. If you go mm-hmm. to lennyschwendinger.com, you learn about all sorts of quirky, you know, what she's doing now. And <laughs> nice, um, yes. yeah, there's, you know, a professional Facebook and, and LinkedIn. I do share a lot of articles, by the way, a lot of insight and love to have those dialogues with, with, with strangers and aficionados of the night. Great. Well, we will put all of those links in the uh, information on the show notes. And um, otherwise, yeah, just keep up with that. And I'm looking forward to keeping up with this myself. Thank you again, Lenny, so much for joining us. Well, thank you so much. This is really a dream, actually. I forgot to say I love podcasts. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Aww. Yeah. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm feeling in love with the night now. Yeah, it's, you know, I, uh, yeah, it's, I have things, I want to, I want to get better about it. Again, during the American holiday season, I tend to do better with it because, again, just the, the displays and 
you know, yeah. illuminated snowflakes and illuminated See, trees. Yeah. And I honestly want those illuminated trees all year round. Like, if we yeah. could just have lights on the trees all the time, I'd be down with that. Honestly, <laughs> it, let's be honest. I know my mom and I, we have left our tree up later than <laughs> January yeah. 6th. Um, but yeah, so that was, I'm so glad we had Lenny on the show today. That was so wonderful. Um, we will definitely be keeping up with her. And again, check out the show notes. Definitely watch those videos. There are some really cool projects that her project team has pulled off recently um, and get inspired by that. And hey, if your city needs to think about the nighttime more, I say send them that info because, yeah, I know ours could use help on it. So, yeah, let's do it. And yeah, we're a little famous right now about, um, you know, things that happen at night and sometimes things that happen in the day on in my world. But yeah. I, I again I want us to like get rid of that association and in yeah. the meantime if you want to find us um, the podcast tweets at third wave urban uh, thirdwaveurbanism.com has all of the archives today's show notes uh, you can find Katrina at think underscore Katrina women led cities is coming up you can find out more information about her work at thinkurban.org to learn more about what Katrina has been up to um, you can find me, theblackurbanist.com, christinejeffers.com, at, at blackurbanist on Twitter. Um, again, uh, Katrina Instagrams more than me, at think underscore Katrina. I am trying to be your uh, neighborhood news source at Black Urbanist. If you follow me on Twitter, you figured that out already. Um, there, <laughs> there is a post out um, that is strictly on medium i've been doing more experimenting with medium myself and you're going to start to see a little bit more of me not necessarily speaking explicitly about urban issues but also just things in general and we've got a few surprises and gifts coming up for you through the holiday season so just be on the lookout for those things on our various platforms so yeah yeah anything else I'm off to Stockholm now. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. Uh, how yeah. can I forget? You know? Um, no, yeah. it's cool. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to the holiday there, too, because it gets dark at, like, 3 o'clock, 3.30? Yeah. Yeah. We were doing bad with 4.45 right? sets here. Right. And, but they also do all the light stuff, so it's really exciting. I, I'm going to look at all the holiday markets and all that fun stuff, and I have to hit up the one in Philly here, too, so um, looking forward to that. But yeah, so I will be in Stockholm for the next two weeks. But otherwise, yeah, thanks for listening, everyone. And thank you, Kristen. Thank you, Katrina. It's always a fun time. Yay.